0: everybody this is man up the uk men's mental health podcast my name is andy richardson and sitting the other side of london in somewhere near watford is the wonderful tommy Dankwa. how are you sir hello how are you hallelujah i can hear you sorry everyone this is uh this is that like our third <laughs> attempt we've had a few technical problems in fact i'm still hearing some sort of like rustling going in my ear is that you fiddling about again tommy with you i don't think
1: that's me but i don't want to give away who i think it might be but i don't think it might be our guest
0: it might be our special guest um yeah i think no it's gone now it's gone now so um so in the time honored tradition how the hell have you been sir
1: mate i um i do you know what i want to say fine but i've actually this week um the last few days i've actually been a bit up and down um right. and i've not been able to put my finger on it and i've sort of been trying to sort of meditate on it and why why am i feeling sort of quite tense And i just think it's a lot of uncertainty at the moment you know and I've, of course. i course and, and it's just um all the routine and stuff that we've been speaking about and doing and it just hasn't really been working so no i'm trying to sort of communicate a bit more with my wife and you know explain what's going on but as I've not quite had my finger on what's happening, I've kind of not been able to sort of, you know, express why I'm feeling like this or what's going on. So it's been a, yeah. it's been a weird few days, not not in a sense of like, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible. But just I've just felt a bit uncomfortable in my skin, if that makes sense.
0: OK, OK. Yeah, fair enough, because. So, I mean, you know, obviously you got the virus at the beginning of it all. So that wasn't a great thing. But since you had that, you, you've had quite a good lockdown, haven't you? So, I mean, inevitably, yeah. you're going to have a little bit of a dip, aren't you? I mean, we're all, you know, we're all going to get some sort of ups and downs, aren't we? You well, know?
1: Do you, yeah. Do you know what I think it was? I think what started it was um, I had to go out um, of the house to get some shopping bits and stuff like that. And yeah. I like do the shopping for my mum as well. And I felt quite. You know, I think, you know, it's quite normal when you go outside, you do feel a bit, you know, you're on guard, aren't you? Sure. There, there was that and just trying to sort of, you know, I'm questioning myself a lot as well at the moment. Am I, am I doing enough for the kids? Uh, you know, am I homeschooling them correctly? It, you know, am I supporting my wife enough? And she's working really hard as well. I think I'm picking up on some of her, the stress and the pressure that she's under. I think I'm picking yeah. up on that too so i think it's yeah. like it's a it's an accumulation of things and i'm just trying to sort of like you know dissect it all and think right this is what i'm feeling now that's why this is happening and at the moment i've not quite you know fully dissected everything so i don't have a definite answer of what it is so yeah right. it's just been a really odd day or two
0: well you know what i found really um was a lovely thing and in fact i i should have commented on it um when you put it up but you did a there was a lovely thing you put up a couple of you know you say you're not being a good dad or whatever but you set up a whole restaurant experience for your two oh. kids this week you printed out menus for them you were like a waiter coming in asking them for their first I <laughs> thought it was it was so so lovely you know oh, thanks, you cannot mate. tell me that you're not you're not a, a great dad come on man
1: oh you know? no thank you thank you I, I just do you know what it is I think it's just um It's that expectation, isn't it? And like, I guess I've not been listening to my own sort of advice of do the best you can. You know, you you know, you're doing the best you can. I think I'm just you know overthinking everything. And I think, and I think it's just the uncertainty of everything at the moment that's just making me feel a bit unbalanced, if you like. But no, it was lovely. We had a really good time doing that. It was amazing. We just, you know, the boys said, "Oh, you know, can we go to a restaurant?" And obviously, we can't do that. So yeah, like you said, we set up in the house and. I made like a, a three course meal for them and, you know, served them. It was, just, it was just fun. It was really nice. And just that, you know, I keep on talking about quality time with family and checking in and it was yeah. amazing and they loved it. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was fun.
0: Yeah. 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 It was good. It was good. Yeah. But that's me well, in a
1: nutshell, mate. That's me in a nutshell. Yes. Slightly <laughs> unhinged, but still here smiling. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's good. That's that's good. That's going wh- It keeps it on edge. Yeah, go on.
1: And what about you, my good fellow? You've been you've been a busy boy, haven't you?
0: Well, funny. Well, funny. You should ask what about me? You know, because uh, you know we like to ask each other those questions, and I'm glad you did ask me how I was. Um, yeah. So I started the week a little bit how I started the, the the previous week, which was feeling really out of sorts, like really not sleeping well not getting to sleep until like sort of like half two, three in the morning, Um, just like walking around in a bit of a daze, feeling some of the old sort of mild sort of panicky breathing things going on, you know, and I thought I was thinking to myself, you know, man, this, this, uh, I I thought I got rid of this sort of, you know, a year or a few years ago. And I was thinking, is it going to come back? You know, but I'd, I'd sort of learned from the CBT stuff that I've been doing and we, we, we'll maybe talk to our guests about this because we do have a guest this week.
1: Can you believe it? It's not the good old days, is not it?
0: Yes. Well, this podcast, um, even though it's classed under a lockdown session, we call it a lockdown extended mix. Should we call it that? <laughs> or, uh, or should we just call it a podcast? 12-inch. <laughs> The lockdown 12-inch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, anyway,
0: why? yeah, so so I've sort of, you know, the the CBT thing, I sort of thought to myself, you know what, um, don't cat- catastrophize it. Don't go, oh, no, you've gone back to square one. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about that on our Zoom meetings, which, um, you know, oh, bollocks, you've all gone again. Oh, no, you've come back again. I thought I'd lost you for a minute. We're
1: here. You, you did cut out a bit there, mate.
0: Right. And we talked about this on the on the on the Zoom meetings, uh, which we'll 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 tell all the listeners again about because they're brilliant. They're really good things to have. Um, yeah, and I just thought, you know what, this is just you. It's a, these are really extraordinary times. You're just and you're you know you're living on your own. You're in total isolation. You're just having a little bit of a bad moment. And and you know what, the this week so far has been really good i felt a lot more positive and just felt a lot better in myself you know Um, so 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 man it's a it's a roller coaster it really is a real roller coaster at the moment but i think that is for all of us you know it is it is um yeah it's a roller coaster for all of us Mm.
1: well what what are we now because we're like what seven weeks now seven weeks in
0: yeah, well, I think we. Yeah, well, I think this is week eight. So we've had seven weeks of it. So this is this is this is week eight. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, man, li- you know, listeners, if if you haven't had a bit of a wobble or or if you've been you know totally fine, then I doff my cap to you because um, you know these are mental times, you know, and so if you are going a bit mental, it's fully understandable, you know.
1: You know what, um, mate? I love it. I, I love I loved doing this because even now, just sort of sitting here and just saying to you, like, I felt a bit of fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. I feel better for just putting it out there and actually being <laughs> like, you know what? The reality of it is, is yeah, into week yeah. eight, it's going to happen, isn't it? You're going to feel a bit like, yeah. even if you're like the most strong-minded, like, you know, never had a problem in your life, you're going to be like, fuck, man,
0: I've been in there yeah. for eight weeks. This is mental. Definitely, and and do you know what? Um, you know, we, so on our Zoom meetings, um, we do have a uh, our guest who's we're about to introduce. He said something really that really sort of resonated with me on the on the on the Zoom meeting uh, because I my particular type of anxiety that I have suffered from is health anxiety, you know. And I said, wow, well, man, you know, I've got health anxiety and there's a global pandemic. You know, I think I've got the virus all the time, you know. And he, and he said, he said, well, listen, man, it's health anxiety is, is a sort of irrational fear of something. But your fear of the virus is rational. And so it's actually doing you a favor right now because, you know, well, touch wood i haven't caught the virus yet because i've been very careful and and you know just he said you know just see it as a blessing you know and that really helped me um yeah big style um he's good isn't he? him? he's good isn't he? him? let's do it um well okay here we go because i've written some notes so now now tommy you 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 know you know charlie um quite well don't you how do you know how do you know charlie
1: Right, so we were introduced a few years back, well, quite a few years back now, um, by a mutual friend of ours, and instantly this larger than life, bubbly character just showed up and was just the heart and soul of everything. So funny, so witty, an absolute boy. Um, but just, he, just you, you can't help but just be drawn to him. He's got an amazing energy, and yeah, just gone like a house on fire. So. It was really, really a pleasure to sort of like speak to him about what I was doing. And then as I learned more about him, figured out what he was doing, like the you know mental health sector and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just like, we've been speaking about this for a few years. I was like, look, you need to come on to the podcast and you need to come and talk to people and like, you know, help us out, you know, give us that professional sort of angle. And he was just like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'll let him tell a, a bit more about it, but. It's finally happened, the planets have aligned, and he's here.
0: I want to say here. He's not here, really. No, he's not. He's on the Isle of Wight. (laughs) He's on the Isle of Wight, which is amazing, the technology. So Charlie Weeks, he's he's a counsellor and psychotherapist. Um, He's been a specialist in um, addiction counselling for about 16 years. Um, He's been 11 years as a counsellor. He also supervises counsellors as well. So he's an Uber counsellor. Um, and, um, he has his own mental health journey and story, which like, I I would say probably the best, um, practitioners in mental health have have actually been through the the mill themselves. So they know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. And like Tommy says, he's, he's based in the Isle of Wight, which is interesting in himself. Um, shall we, yes, let's get it. Let's let, let's stop speaking and let's speak to him. Charlie, how are you?
2: Hi guys. Well, wow, that was quite an introduction. Thank you. Thanks for the setup, Tommy. Funny and witty. So that's something I'm going to have to work on now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, don't let <laughs> us down, mate. Everyone's <laughs> expecting now.
0: Oh, did you hear that, Tommy? He <laughs> like robot.
2: Yeah, exactly. Everyone's going to be expecting all sorts of humour and stuff. Well, you know, I might I might pull something out of the bag. Who knows?
1: Go on, say something funny quickly. Oh, God, don't really. <laughs>
2: don't, don't put the pressure um, This is I- the first time, <clears throat> honestly, The good thing about this for me is I haven't really felt anxiety um, in my body for a while, but this is quite a nerve wracking experience. You know, I normally do what I do. I deliver what I do. I've done it for a long time. Then all of a sudden you find yourself in kind of some uneven terrain and that's it. Fight or flight kicks in. So, yeah, go gentle, guys. We will
1: go easy on you. We'll definitely go easy on you, but don't be scared. You're one of the boys now. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I'm over it already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. So so yes, Charlie, you've um you've joined in on our morning Zoom thing, ten thirty 30's Wednesday. Another little plug there. How how have you found that?
2: Really good, actually. It was it was so nice to kind of connect with other guys in that group setting kind of just sharing about, you know, sharing our thoughts and feelings. For, for me, it's really important to be doing that alongside the work that I do and making sure that I kind of practice what I preach in a way, just kind of keeping an eye on my own mental health. So, yeah, it's been it's been brilliant. I've been trying to hook up with Tommy and yourself for a while, to be honest.
0: It's been great having you on there, actually, because, uh, you know, you, you sort of, you, well, you, you know what you're talking about. So, so yeah, most of the great. time. You give us another level, doesn't he? It's like
1: a, a another string to the bow, a bit of professionalism, which we uh, often don't have.
0: <laughs> that is very true. This is very true. <laughs> self-effacement self eff- is uh, quite a sort of uh, a, 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 a British thing, isn't it, really? I think it's quite a sort of noble British tradition, self-effacement. And I think it's healthy.
2: Yeah, well, I'm trying to juggle two balls there, though, because I want to kind of have a professional influence in a sense but I don't want to wear that hat the whole time I think when I came on the first time I made it quite clear that really I was there as somebody who wanted to be part of the group and actually seek some support
0: so it's an interesting kind of dynamic. So Charlie let's um, let's get into it so tell us a little bit about your background um, your your sort of you know, your beginnings and how you got into um, where you are today, really, which is, I know it's quite a big question, but um, yeah, tell us a bit about your background.
2: I'll give you a brief overview. It kind of started back in about 2004. Well, funny enough, I moved up to London to do music. That was my passion. But uh, I ended up working in a detox centre, helping people uh, come off drugs Uh, I was a substance misuse worker at the time. I actually started on the phones there, but then ended up doing substance misuse work. I then kind of graduated from that up to working in a rehab, and uh, they trained me to be a counsellor there. So I trained uh, in psychodynamic therapy, then got my diploma in CBT, so I'm a CBT therapist as well, and then uh, qualified as a clinical supervisor. But but when I when I was working at the rehab, I was working predominantly with addiction. That was kind of my passion. So I would facilitate groups, supporting alcoholics and sometimes people that were cross addicted. Alcohol had to be their first drug of choice. But if they were cross-addicted to a different substance, then we'd take them. And I was kind of working with these guys for a good thirteen, fourteen years. So doing workshops, supporting people on one to ones, that kind of stuff. And it was interesting because when Tommy Tommy came into my life well before um, I started to have mental health problems. But what was funny is that he, I was on the phone to him two weeks before I had what I would call a nervous breakdown. Um, and he was, and I was saying to him, I can't wait to come on to the podcast. And then literally out of the blue, which gives you, you know, that real kind of understanding of how mental health problems can be insidious or when they finally uh, erupt, you just don't see it coming. And about two weeks later, I was just kind of struck with this... Horrible depression. I mean, debil- debilitating depression, um and had to look at the fact that I was also abusing alcohol, you know, and other substances. So it was a, re- it was a, you know, bearing in mind I was kind of working in the field, helping people, then having this realization that you know my kind of life had just flipped on its head, and I was suffering from some of the issues that I'd been treating people for for years. Um, anyway, I ended up. Um, Getting some, the way I got support was actually kind of unique as well. I was really lucky around that, but um, you know, I about that another time. Uh, but I ended up moving to the Isle of Wight, and luckily managed to find work through some friends. So now I'm the therapeutic lead at a wellbeing service. So in the end, things kind of worked out, but it was a bit of a bumpy ride.
0: Yeah, and so and so, why substance abuse? Was that why was that a sort of specific interest? To you, or was it just something that you sort of fell into initially? Well,
2: I had a realization.
0: I used to live in Brighton, and I was having a
2: conversation with one of my girlfriends a long, long time ago, and we'd actually broken up. and I felt like I was kind of like counseling her over the phone. And I was I was about 23 at the time, and I just said to her, "Do you know what? I think my vocation in life is to be a counselor. I just feel that's what I need to do." I was actually a graphic designer at the time. Um, Little did I know. That fate would actually guide me towards that as a career, because when I moved to London to do music, uh, it was just by sheer chance that I ended up working in the detox centre, and then that sent me off on this route to become a therapist. So I never specifically chose to—I never specifically chose drug and alcohol work. That's kind of where fate directed me. But once I achieved my qualifications, then I realised that working with addicts wasn't just working with. Working with depression, personal disorders, very occasionally schizophrenia, that kind of stuff. So it wasn't really specifically about drug and alcohol work. But that's where I ended up. That's where I kind of really honed my skills, and um, yeah, started to kind of specialise in that area.
0: I suppose they go sort of hand in hand, don't they? Like addictions and, and mental health problems. I mean, a, a, an addiction is a mental health problem, isn't it, I guess? Or, you know, is that a, is, would you, do you see that as a separate problem to depression and anxiety? Or do you think they go hand in hand? Well, I mean, there's lots of different theories and opinions on, on that on
2: that particular question. It is a mental health It's definitely a mental health condition of sorts. I mean, some people think that uh, addiction is an outright disease. And there's other people that kind of contest that and say, well, it's not a disease. It's not an illness. It's really about suffering trauma or a way of coping with emotions because of things that you've experienced. So I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle on that point. I I do think it's a mental health issue. It takes its toll on your mental health, whatever way you look at it. But it's, you know, addictions are kind of classified specifically as addictions. I've never really met any when I was treating people in the rehab it was very rare that someone would come in who was strictly an alcoholic you know there was normally something else in their background or they developed an anxiety disorder on top of their alcohol use or they were depressed before most people are carrying some kind of trauma i mean that that's the that's the crux of a lot of people's issues so it's kind of hard to separate them out but uh, addiction isn't specifically called a mental health problem because some people will just say no. It's kind
0: of it's, it's an illness. It's a brain disease. Is this where? Yeah, um, you... Oh, sorry. Is this where? No, no. I was going to ask you. I'm going to say Tommy because you've got you've got some uh, good um, good. You've got some sort of strong views on that because you've sort of dabbled in that area a little bit yourself, haven't you? Well,
1: yeah, but I was thinking more on the lines of um, uh, dual diagnosis because quite often yeah. we're talking about the um, mental health. And the addictions and often things are missed because of people using and abusing. So the actual mental health problems are not being diagnosed, are they? Because they're not being looked at. So is that sort of a massive problem that we're seeing? I mean, that is nail on
2: the head, really. It's a huge problem because it's kind of chicken and egg as well. And it's confusing for the individual that's suffering because... It might be that they were really depressed and they used alcohol to medicate that depression and then got addicted to the alcohol. Or it could be that they were drinking and when they started to recognise they were getting addicted to the alcohol, they started to feel depressed because they knew their life would have to change. So part of my responsibility, really, when I put my therapeutic hat on is to help them kind of understand the differences uh, of these issues and how they kind of all interlink. But in but in simple terms, Tommy. Yeah, it can be a it can be a really tough road to navigate. You know because uh, dual diagnosis in itself is is really having to deal with two mental health problems, if you like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know, I I mean, from experience, as Andy said, because I didn't realise that that was the sort of path I was going down because I was using as a recreational user because. I thought it was just the thing that, you know, we all did and I was happy to do it. What I didn't realize was it was a real way of masking all the emotions that I just wasn't dealing with. So, sure. once, like I said, once the pregnancy happened and I became a father and everything slowed down, that's when everything erupted like a volcano because I wasn't able to mask it or, you know, like, you know, douse it down or, you know, hide it away with alcohol and drugs. So it all came spurting out. It's crazy.
2: So yeah. So you're,
1: do, sorry. No, no, carry on. Yeah, that was it. That I was.
2: was it. I was just going to say. So you're just left with the raw emotion, which is which is really hard for people to do. It seems it was certainly hard for me to do. And again, you, you know, we've come together to kind of talk about men's mental health or mental health in general. But I mean, we're kind of looking at men in particular, and um, we we are really quite bad at talking about our emotions. You know, that's still a problem in society today.
1: What is that all about? When when is it going to change? Well, I mean, I well,
2: we're, to, doing, I this, we? I <laughs> we're doing this kind of thing, and I, and I reckon there's quite <laughs> a lot of this popping up, um, and, and there is encouraging signs. I I believe, but but when when, it, when is it going to change? Yeah. You know, I I think that we're on the verge of. Um maybe a bit of a mental health revolution. there seems to be more people wanting to talk about it. you know again we kind of there's celebrities isn't there that come forward to talk about mental health. so it feels like we're heading in the right direction um but I think- men are always going to be somewhat shackled uh by by this this phrase is just being overused now, but this kind of toxic masculinity i mean i 've witnessed it with my own eyes many times and i've and I've felt it in myself as well. You know, not wanting to be vulnerable, and I and I think until we kind of break the back of that and really make it okay for men to be vulnerable, then we are gonna. It, it's it's gonna be a feature in in the human condition. Yeah.
0: Maybe we should just call it uh, gender stereotype rather than toxic masculinity I like or that. or just masculinity. Yeah. Just 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 we we just feel the need to sort of you know live up to this stereotype that's, that's, that's there really, because, you know, masculinity in itself doesn't have to be toxic, does it? I know. Didn't you get into an argument with someone on, on Twitter or something Tommy, about the phrase toxic masculinity? I had some
1: Twitter beef, man, had some Twitter beef, because I heard this term toxic masculinity. I was like, Oh, that's good. And you know, the way I sort of (laughs) interpreted it was, you know, men being, you know, over, you know, overcompensating that sort of thing, you know? And when I sort of said, go, somebody said to me and he went mad or oh, toxic masculinity, you wouldn't say toxic gay or toxic. What? And I was just like, whoa, slow down, soldier. Like, <laughs> and this guy went in and like, I had this massive beef. And in the end, I sort, of, I, had a, I sort of had a look. I was like, let me look at it again. And, you know, we had a conversation. I sort of managed to calm him down a bit. Uh, and I, yeah, so I don't use that phrase anymore. Um, no. and, I, and I blocked him as well bastard good
0: for you the
2: stereotype
1: is <laughs> an interesting way of looking at it though
2: because there was one thing that uh, used to bother me in the treatment center religiously bother me um, and that was the idea that the men in the treatment center did think for some reason they were more able to deal with some of the dynamics in the group or the dynamics of the treatment center. So, what happens when people are coming off drugs and alcohol? I mean, it, it's happening all around all the time. It's not specific to people coming off drugs and alcohol, but when they're together, men and women, um, raw as you like, they're off their substances. Then they start to kind of develop feelings for one another, and they support each other in group. And sometimes it can be romantic, or they're physically attracted. And and one of the stereotypes that I just could not stand really is when the men I was working with. Uh, were, were always putting themselves out there as, OK, yeah, I do fancy that woman, but don't worry about it. It's going to be fine because I'm the man and I'm in control. And really, underneath that facade, there was just a little boy who needed protecting. And I would see that so much. And I'd be like, listen, you need support. You're, it's worrying me just how much you're blocking this idea that you have feelings. And this woman could walk all over you. And then you're going to be the one that relapses because you can't manage the emotion. And the amount of times I had to go through that process with guys just to get them to see that they've got the same emotions, that they are vulnerable, was frustrating.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Man. Step, do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm the man, I'm in control. Yeah. I and suppose like, you're at your most vulnerable, not, vulnerable you're as really well. Vulnerable.
1: Aren't you? Yeah, you are at your most vulnerable if you're sort of like, you're trying to get clean. And again, like you said, feeling this emotion, I guess, like looking for love in that or that sort of that sort of affection or um, acceptance, I guess. You do sort of put yourself out there. And again, if it goes wrong, that could lead to massive relapse and stuff, could not it?
2: Yeah, but that but that's the thing, because the, the guy the guy in this case is ass- assuming that he's in control of the situation and not really taking care of his own needs. And, you know, when I worked with women, and I mean, again, obviously it's never an exact science, but women would kind of get it, you know, if you said to a woman, well, you don't really know that person, you know, and obviously you couldn't disclose any information you knew about that guy because that would be unprofessional. But sometimes we knew things about them the, the men in the treatment centre or the women in, in the treatment centre, and obviously we're trying to guide people um, to focus on their recovery and not get involved in relationship, right? And when you mm. kind of say to one of the ladies there, you know what you don't really know him very well you're not you're not really aware of you know the the behaviors that he might have uh, perpetuated throughout his life they kind of go yeah that's a good point but if you say that to uh you know a man you know that woman could be like a complete heartbreaker for all you know she might just chew you up and spit you out what do you think his response is going to be that won't happen to me i'm in control yeah (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah. so tell us Charlie. before you got into sort of counseling and you know your your sort of career journey had you had you had any sort of personal mental health sort of problems i know you've we'll get into the your sort of recent thing and how you've dealt with that and also how you've dealt with it being a practitioner as well you know because that's really interesting sort of you know dichotomy really but yeah so so have you had any mental health problems sort of prior to sort of recent years? So there was an experience that I had when I was very young uh,
2: who I did actually talk to my counsellor about when I went through my training. It was something that stayed with me, and and it was a bad drug experience. It was due to kind of cannabis, and I kind of think I had some psychosis when I was about 16, 17, and I always felt that that kind of had set me off on a path that wasn't quite right because for weeks and months after it, I never felt, I didn't feel myself again for a long, long time. But as life went on, I kind of forgot that I'd been affected by that. Some of the symptoms, the anxiety that that I felt because of the incident did start to abate. So I just generally kind of let it sink into the recesses of my mind and forgot about it. Of course, things like that can be a very early prelude to a mental health problem after after that experience and like through my 20s and into my 30s there was a few there was a few moments when i remember feeling really burnt out with work uh, and exhausted but i never I, I i didn't see i i could never have guessed what was coming next you know with the kind of what i would refer to as a breakdown i did not see that coming so there was blips there was maybe a few indicators but it, but it, but no, nothing. You know, I was never on any kind of medication or no diagnosis. I never went to a doctor to talk about mental health it's a bit that way.
0: Right, and so this, so the the breakdown that you had that led on to sort of depression that came out of the blue. It was like a sort of, you know, there was nothing leading up to it. It just happened like that, or was there? In you know.
2: Well, it's interesting because there's there's two there's two things that are absolutely contributing factors. Firstly, it was my drinking. You know, I'm I'm kind of proud to say now that I'm I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Right. So you know, it was pretty hard for me holding down this job, working with alcoholics, whilst I was slowly kind of going down this path of heavy mm. drinking. But it took a long time, like it does with a lot of alcoholics or drug addicts, because you get so good at hiding it. You get um, your, your body is so used to processing it. You become resilient. Um, so, you know, I hit it for a long time. The other thing was work stress. I'd always kind of felt that I needed a change. I was kind of getting fed up with London. So if I kind of look at the drinking Look at the work stress. I wasn't happy in my environment. I needed some kind of change. And uh, when, I, when I finally kind of had a breakdown, my drinking was intermittent. And then I was hit with what I would call situational depression. Like I didn't quite want to own the fact that I was getting addicted to alcohol. I didn't want to deal with the stress that was being created with work. And then I just think I had kind of like that full mental collapse.
0: It's funny because when we had we had a guest on um, last year, we had Mark Rice Oxley, the um, Guardian journalist, who's got a great book out called uh, uh, "Beneath." Is it "Beneath the the Lemon Tree" or "Underneath the Lemon Tree," Tommy? Is it one tree, of yeah, those two? "Beneath the Lemon Tree." Yeah, and he talks about um, <clears throat> literally the day he turned forty. You know, he was on oh. he was on a um, a barge having his fortieth birthday. That is when he had his breakdown. That was when he had, that's when he went into, um, you know, into depression for the first time in his life when he was 40. And I think it's, and I think it's a certain, Now I don't know if you agree with this, but I think a certain stage in people's lives, men may probably females as well. When you get to a certain stage when you're not young anymore, you, you know, you're, you can't bounce back from these sort of heavy nights out but, you, you know, you're not old, you know, you haven't lived a sort of full life and whatever. And you're you at that sort of you're at a crossroads in your life. And, it is, and, and, and it's a bit of a cliche to say midlife crisis. But, you know, would you see it as that? Yeah, completely. The way the thinking that I've done around it now,
2: like in relation to myself, it's like understanding. I always support because when you train psychodynamically, one of the things you do is help people recognize how they have. um. They have used psychological defence mechanisms to deal with emotions and get them through through life. So when I was taking people through that, I understood it to a certain degree. You're in denial. That means you don't want to look at the reality of your situation or your drinking or your relationship or whatever else. When I finally got hit with all this stuff, I was really kind of just looking at my mind in a completely different way. Do you know what I mean? I was thinking to myself, this this defence, I'm, I'm employing this defence mechanism now. and I know that I'm doing it, but I can't stop it. And and what you've just said there, Andy, really for me is so relevant. There's a guy called Gaba Mate, and what he basically said. And so many people have said this. They basically say inside most addicts, um, or or people that kind of have that breakdown, there is a person in there that doesn't want to take responsibility. And that for me was absolutely key. I knew it for a long time, but when I kind of walk back down that road, wind it back to see the pro, the progression of my mental health decline, I was slowly but surely come, ha- having this realisation that my 20s were over, my 30s were over, my drug taking had to stop, my drinking had to stop, and I had to kind of grow up. I had to start living a healthy, productive life. And I honestly believe that part of my depression was like a bit of a tantrum, an, an, an inward and an outward tantrum of, oh my God, it's happened, and I can't keep this up any longer. Mm. and and you hear a lot of addicts say you know it's either going to be the mental institute or the graveyard or you get well do you know what i mean so i think it was a pivotal time for me and and the guy you've just cited there you know i'm just thinking how many thousands of people go through that similar process where they're hit with that realization of course it can be a plethora of other things as well but what you've just said there in relation to my story really rings true there's loads more to it but Um, it really that that really hits me
0: so how did you be you know being a practitioner how um how did you deal with it like could you were you able to sort of speak to yourself and slowly sort of take yourself out of it or did you have to get help yourself
2: yeah I, I knew what I had to do um so I said earlier that I was quite lucky with the transition um from being unwell to getting a route back to wellness. So just coincidentally, I had two really good friends here on the island. They they employ me now, um, Charlie Bell and Vicky Howarth. And these two guys actually approached Mount Carmel where I was working and wanted to do detoxes for Mount Carmel. So I was trying to make that work whilst I kind of started to fall into my drinking pattern and alcoholism. So one day I just phoned Charlie Bell up and said, mate, I need your help. I need a detox. I think I'm physically addicted. Um, again, there's a lot more to this. They, were, they came and helped me out and I moved to the island because of it. But throughout the process, the reason I have faith in therapy, and I think I might have said this in one of the, um, in the groups that we do on Wednesday morning with yourselves. The reason I have faith in therapy is really what I actually was able to do is listen to my own advice. And quite often in a group setting, or even on a one-to-one, when you're working with somebody, one of the things—it's a bit of a cliche in therapy—is we want to say to our client, just listen to your own advice. You know, the advice you're giving that other person, just take that and apply it to yourself. And I think I turned it around pretty quickly because I was aware of how my mind was working in relation to my problems. I realised that denial of of reality was a surefire way of problems getting worse. So then I was just in that place where I was thinking you know, don't be hard on yourself. These are illnesses. You know, it's not your fault this happened. And I kind of got that cycle of positive self chatter in straight away. Um, I did go and see a counsellor. Um, it was the same counsellor I saw when I was training, actually. So he was quite interested to see that I was back. And, and then I started to actually construct just a plan of recovery, which is exercise, community, threat, all that stuff that you guys know inside and out.
0: Yeah, and you've got the sort of dual background of of the the psychodynamic and the CBT, which, funny enough, are the two types of therapy I've had. Right. So, so, I'm, <laughs> I'm, so I'm I'm very I'm very aware of of both, and I think they actually, personally, I think they complement each other really well. You know, I I think I think it's uh, they are very different, as you know, but yeah. I think they complement it complement each other really well. Would you say if, sort of therapy is like the sort of gold standard for for someone who really wants to sort out their their sort of mental health problems? I mean, it's in a way I'd say yes to that, because I mean,
2: currently I work for a wellbeing service where we support people to live in the here and now because we're kind of limited with how we can work with them. So we have like a four stage process. It's all it's a humanistic psychology. It's kind of person centred. It's about motivating that individual to live in a solution and kind of take action to manage their problems. So we will we, we quite explicitly say that we won't take them back to look at trauma. But of course, in the in the course of a day, many people will share things with us that are trauma related, or they'll share with us com- complicated dynamics within their family that we are unable to kind of support them with in that moment so i will always say to them if you think about having a well-being service that helps you focus on having the right attitude cbt basically have the right attitude manage your beliefs uh change behaviours eat healthily if you have that alongside therapy where you're kind of digging into the past to manage traumas which can be cathartic or just revisiting them so that you kind of make your peace with them then you've kind of got a really good, robust therapeutic package. So coming from the therapeutic standpoint, I'd always say that if you're struggling to find relief with regards to your mental health symptoms through doing things day-to-day, adjusting diet, exercise, changing your job, managing stress, if you're, if you're not finding relief doing that, then you might need to look down the therapeutic route. Mm.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean I've I've found it to be, you know, for for me personally, I found it to be sort of um priceless, really. Yeah. You know. I was talking to someone the other day and they 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 said even if you're, you know, in in inadverted in commas well, uh, to to, ha- to just to have a therapist sort of once a month is a great idea, just to have someone you can just offload stuff um to, you know, um and 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 sort of get a little bit of readjusting from. Um if you can afford it, of course, you know. I mean this is a whole different debate, isn't it? The affordability of therapy. Absolutely absolutely. Yeah. I mean there's yeah, I mean you're gonna to have to go privately, really. I mean you can get it through the NHS, but the,
2: the waiting lists are ridiculously long. But what you've just said there again is so important. I mean what a therapist really can do for you is just create that space where you will really feel heard, which I'm sure you can identify there with Andy. You, you know, in actual fact, some friends I mean, th- there is psychotherapeutic value in friendships, there's no doubt about it. If you've got a good friend that can listen, you know, that's going to do something for you. But having having that space where people can listen, uh, where an individual can listen to you, and then also give you some kind of direction and guidance or, you know, support you in other ways is pretty priceless. I mean, I'm not in therapy at the moment, but I would certainly consider going back into therapy just to kind of talk stuff through make sure that there's there's
1: nothing lurking that could catch me out do you know what i mean it's just like it's like a top-up isn't it it's like a top-up i mean there's yeah. no there's no, issue like you exercise you get fit you don't stop exercising right exactly the same thing surely there with you your go. mind and your mental health right
2: there you go you don't get that six pack and then say right now i can get back on the well, donuts absolutely <laughs> you don't do that you're kind of like right i've got to maintain this but but for me, one of the easiest ways to understand mental health is by looking at the physical body, you know, and kind of applying the same principles. I mean, we all know it's different, but you can apply the same principles to the body that you can to the mind.
0: Mm. It's 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 very true. And, and do you know what? There are ways of getting a foot afford- apart from going through the NHS which we all know can be a bit of a ball ache there are ways of getting affordable therapy you know my I did it through anxiety uk um sure. you know I I got tw- you know it was 25 pounds a session for me um and um you know, I also went to a place called Waterloo Community Counseling, which, you know, you just name the price of what you can afford. You know, there there are there, and there's charities like Rethink Mental Illness, Mind, you know, there are there are ways of getting cheap therapy. So, you know, I, I mean, hum, yeah, I I would say it's not an exclusively sort of rich no
2: no, it's not and again like you know tommy's just made a a really good point about physical health i mean uh, any single one of us will pay 50 pounds i mean i don't know what the going rate is at the moment for a gym membership right you'd pay that um a month and if you think about it two therapy sessions or fortnightly therapy sessions is going to come in at the same price so it is really about recognizing that your mental health well for some of us our mental health has to be taken care of So it's great. I mean, obviously, Andy, you've got some really good knowledge around those services, and you'll be promoting those services on here regularly, I hope, because it does need to be attainable. It needs to be affordable.
0: Have you heard, just as a side note, uh, someone told me about they were having Jungian therapy. Have you heard of Jungian therapy, as in Carl Jung? Carl Jung, yeah. Yes, yeah, Jung.
2: So... I did a little bit of Carl Jung actually, when I did my training, so he'll I mean that that individual will probably be, they'll certainly be looking at the unconscious mind. It would be a psychodynamic therapy of sorts. Um, yeah. I, I, I studied Freud a bit more closely, but again, it's going to be about unraveling some of the unconscious, seeing how the the impact of your childhood primary caregivers may have shaped your personality. And, and and may have restricted you from living life to to the full. Did you kind of have that going on in your psychodynamics therapy, Andy? That kind
0: of thing. Oh, it was very. It was all about my childhood. You know, it was like the 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 my my psychodynamic th- thing was was literally yeah. I mean, I spent a year talking about my 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 childhood and my what happened then, and and you know, it was yeah I, to the point where. I really felt like I'd sort of exercised my demons there you know any any sort of sort of questions any sort of imbalance that I had about my past had been eradicated even though I I, I still have things to to sort out about it I just felt like you know I had a very strong base to sort of you know move on from yeah. because I spoke about it for a year you know
2: absolutely that's yeah. very,
0: it's really good to hear because i think that uh it, you know there's obviously a lot of
2: people that don't have a great experience in therapy um and that's because it again it's not an exact science it's it, it's it's it can be quite a messy process in many ways but it's good to hear yourself talking about the positive experiences and obviously i've seen it transform people's lives
1: for years have you ever have you ever had therapy tommy not um cbt or anything like that i did i did energy healing. That was what I did and we talk about going back to like childhood traumas and stuff like that and understanding why I felt like I did and I found that really an amazing way of doing it and it was almost like going into a hypnotic state and finding out questions about yourself and what that is, is they use muscle memory to see if you're being honest and I just found it really sort of mind-blowing because I was saying one thing but my body was saying something completely different. It's interesting. Oh, mate, it was, it was. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have believed it. A few years ago, if you asked me, I'd have been like this, like, hippie mumbo jumbo. But um, genuinely, I dug down to the core of some things that I didn't even realize could have even been an issue for me. And I didn't realize the amount of like trauma that I was holding on to. So it was really good to sort of, like, get down to that and um, start healing inside out, you know, rather than just sort of sticking a Band-Aid on it i really was faced with some like real underlining issues that i had to face up to so i found it amazing
2: but that's really interesting though because a guy that i mean th- th- this guy joe dispenser is quite big at the minute um have you two heard of him
0: who okay. joe dispenser joe dispenser yeah D- D- no he... write it down Tommy. No. <laughs> Tommy, always says, Tommy he's Tommy's like the secretary. He's like write it down. Wait, yeah. write it down. <laughs> I mean this
2: this guy's kind of mind-blowing really because I mean for me because he's kind of uh, I think he's a neuroscientist and he's starting to really kind of do the the um, the research get together the empirical evidence that if you change the way that you think then there's different neurotransmitters the areas of the brain that wire together Uh, that fire together, wire together, and that you do change your behaviour through your thinking. He also says if your thinking can make you sick, then your thinking can make you better. But going back to what Tommy said, he refers, Joe Dispenza refers to the body as the unconscious mind. So anything that's kind of going on in your head then impacts on the body. And when I heard that, I just thought, wow, the implications of that with regards to stress Are really profound because you know we've known for years that if you become too stressed or you're constantly in fight or flight, then there's going to be cortisol, which is kind of quite toxic for the body. You know, it's good in short bursts to get us through um, times of emergency or survival, but having that going around the body all the time is linked to cancer. It's linked to diabetes. It's linked to kind of um, uh, obesity. So, this guy's saying, now your, your mind is controlling your body. And if your body is holding all this energy, then there's going to be problems. So, I think energy healing is something I really want to get into and just
1: draw more. Yeah. Yeah, man. I just you know I, yeah. I, I totally, um, you know, I, I'm really for it. I just thought it was amazing, really amazing. And it's definitely changed, not just the way I sort of see things, but now it's like I've been had a new download, you know, my whole program has been changed yeah yeah it's a nice upgrade <laughs> well, well that well that's what he talks
2: about he actually talks about and again this isn't really new to psychology because we talk about you know unconscious schemas um the unconscious mind and holding all sorts of stuff in there but he kind of refers to it uh joe Dispenza refers to it as a as a program you know
0: you've got to change the program like a jet, that floppy disk and put a new one in mm. That's what that's what a breakdown is in a way, though, isn't it? It's, don't you think like having a breakdown is almost like a computer breaking down, and you right. sort of you reprogram yourself. So it, it, you know, Tommy says he's a better person after his breakdown. I say I'm a better person after my my panic attacks and my anxiety i'm sure you say the same about yourself after your breakdown that you feel like you're a better person i was
2: was having a conversation with my friend the other day and he said how's sobriety going and um i said it's good you know I i said i'm still kind of you know wearing these new shoes and it's going to take a bit of time to break in but the thing that i said next to him which was absolutely authentic was do you know what mate funny thing is when I was laying on my couch drinking whiskey, and then started drinking it silly, you know, days on end. Um, and even before that happened, when I was just lazing around, I pictured myself as being someone who was really fit, who was really productive. Believe it or not, someone that would do podcasts and stuff, right? All those things. So my my breakdown now has kind of launched me into the place that I wanted to be. Before I had the breakdown, when I was kind of fantasizing about what I could be achieving.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. So
2: it's, you know, it's just like, well, okay, it was meant to happen then, was it? Did I have to go through that to finally change?
1: That's the question. Did. That <laughs> well, there you the go. Question. That is the question.
2: And <laughs> um, that, that, you know, that, thanks, universe. Put <laughs> me all that pain yeah. just <laughs> so <laughs> I can, you know, get up at a normal time, <laughs> go for a run and do a job.
0: talking of questions talking of questions i think this is over to you now tommy right yeah so um we did
1: ask um some of the listeners and people on our social medias if they had any questions we will be firing them over to you charlie so are you ready because we've got a few i am ready now i'm aware we've actually gone we're, we're quite well into this podcast so i might do three today if that's all right yeah i'll try and keep my answers succinct Okay, amazing. Well, I'll start off with like quite a general because I think I had two or three people have asked this or asked it in a roundabout way. Um, how can i how do I speak to people or help somebody who I think is going through mental health problems?
2: That's a re- that is a really good question. Um, so 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 really, there's kind of a, there's two aspects to consider. The, the first thing to bear in mind is that if somebody is going through mental health problems, there's not much that you're going to really be able to do to help them per se. I mean, it's not. It, I, I would avoid any advice giving. I would avoid um, that feeling of wanting to fix them um, or, or or collude with them around the problem. Really, the, the, the best thing you can do is to just say to them that you are available for them to to call or to meet up and you will listen because sometimes that's all people need um, and then depending on the severity of their issue it might be about guiding them towards some of those agencies that Andy said just now um, or asking them to go and see a GP because again if it's a guy and he finally opens up to another guy uh, but the last thing you want to be doing is um, making him feel like that was a bad thing to do so I I would I'd make sure there was kind of no jokes just listen to what they're saying and then maybe you should go and see a doctor and you're probably going to be met with no I don't need that you know it's just it's not that problem and then of course you can just just keep that on repetition you might need to get some professional help
1: nice thank you thank you okay um right this is a good one somebody's asking for clarity on what does it mean to be sectioned?
2: What does it mean to be sectioned? Right. So there is, um, there is an act basically of law around being sectioned. Um, now it's not my speciality, although I'm working in mental health at the moment, it would normally be one of our nurses that kind of dealt with that. If somebody is starting to display uh, a me- but behaviors that are antisocial that are linked to mental health then there is there's actually a name for it, but i can't remember it at the moment it, it's a the police can they can issue a, a something it's a 363 or something um where they would take you straight to a mental health hospital or initiate that process so it would normally be uh, a situation where if a practitioner a mental health practitioner, or a police officer recognised that there was antisocial behaviour that may be a mental health problem, then they would look at sectioning that individual. Someone might come to your house if you are displaying um, psychotic behaviours mm. uh, and, th- and then take you straight from your house to a, a mental health hospital. So the, the thing about it, to bear in mind, is that if you become if you are sectioned, you are going to be taken to a mental health facility. And then the doctors will decide what the best course of action is for you.
1: Amazing. So I think the, um, the nurses
2: where I work have the power. I'm, I'm a counsellor and therapist, so I don't have the power to do this, but they have the power to assess somebody. And if they believe that person was a danger to themselves or somebody else, or in a, or in a very heightened
1: state of, of a mental health symptom, then they could section that person. Amazing. Um, could you uh, maybe just give us a bit of clarity? Because what I do see a lot on some of the questions that get asked, people have this real fear of being sectioned in mental, you know, mental health wars, because I think they've seen the movies, the asylums and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, have have like modern sort of facilities changed or is it really what people are fearing? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, there's, it's it's really I mean again if you if you think about if you think about mental health and you think about some of the kind of more undesirable symptoms like having a psychotic episode or becoming becoming violent or you know going catatonic or something so you just kind of you have inertia so you can't move any of that stuff needs to be treated in a hospital setting and I, and I said earlier on the cast that I think you know if you look at mental health like physical health. And it helps you kind of understand the process a bit better. Again, if you had a serious physical problem, you wouldn't necessarily just want to wait to go to your GP. And you wouldn't necessarily just want to ride it out at home. You'd want to go to a hospital. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you've got blood pouring out your leg or something. And and really, just to take the stigma out of being sectioned, what I'd want you guys to to start to recognise is that really, it's just the level of care that you need at that time. I've worked with many clients that have been sectioned. I mean, kind of off the chart numbers, so many of them had been sectioned and they present as, as you know, kind of normal or lucid to me when they come into counselling because it was just like the heightened part of their mental health problem it's when, it's when the symptoms really peaked. So I don't, you know, one of the things that we are absolutely trying to do in mental health is get these stigmas addressed. We don't want people starting to, to feel that they failed somehow because they need hospital treatment. It's re- that's really not what this is about. And and actually men- mental institutes now, or mental hospitals, if you like, are much better places to be. They're very different from how they were 20, 30, 40 years ago.
1: Amazing. I think that's going to reassure quite lots of people, you know, that will be reassuring to hear. Reassuring yes, to hear. it's
2: it's it's really important that you don't get stuck. I mean, again, is, you know, with the physical, you don't necessarily get stuck on the, on the stigma of your physical health. Some people do because it might be related to their smoking or their drinking or something. But generally, we don't. But we do get stuck on mental health because somewhere there's this unconscious message that we're all saying to ourselves, this is my fault that I've gone wrong. It's yeah. me that's created this. And And to be fair, as you get well, you might start to recognise that there is things... That, that exacerbate your mental health and those behaviours need to change. But we cannot be blaming ourselves out of the starting blocks for our mental health problems and you, must, and you mustn't you must do that. And if you
1: have to be section, that's just the level of care you need. Amazing, thank you. All right, and um, I'm going to finish with this one because this one really uh, stood out and I I said that I would get an answer for this gentleman or do the best I can. Um, okay, so I'm not going to say any names He says, I've been on lockdown, Um, my wife has miscarried and I feel hopeless, lost and lonely. I've got a six-year-old son and I'm currently on 40 mg of antidepressant medication. I just need to know what to do next. Wow, that's really sad to hear. Um,
2: Well, first and foremost, it's brilliant that you've reached out and obviously come on on here to talk to Andy, Tommy and myself. That is a, a massive step in the right direction. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the, the Wednesday meeting that they do on Zoom, but if, if you're feeling that you want some extra support, that would be a great place to start and continue to tune in here. I think what, what is it, what's really important that needs acknowledging is that your partner is going to be going through her own uh, grieving process, and that may mean that you feel that you have to be strong for her to support her, but ideally, what you'll be doing is recognizing that that grieving process is something that you'll probably experience yourself mm. if you're on you've mentioned you're on medication, so without a doubt, stay on the meds at the moment. You can always phone one one-one to talk about um, having a meds review or call your doctor, but they would probably at this stage advise you to stay on them until the circumstances change. I think the other thing that's really important to recognize Is that if you want to talk about your feelings confidentially, then Samaritans are great to call, because you'll just get you'll get a listening ear, maybe a bit of guidance, but in actual fact, it will probably be be more about you connecting with another another human being and being able to talk through your feelings. Once lockdown has, you know, the the landscape's changed a, a bit more, and depending on your financial situation or your work situation it might be an idea to look into getting some uh kind of support like andy was saying earlier he had a positive experience of therapy i've had positive experiences of therapy i would always recommend that you check that route out if you feel that you need a bit more
1: excellent advice Excellent wow. advice. You see we can't do that Charlie. We we didn't have that sort of knowledge to give to people so thank you, you for could, that.
2: You could can always give me a call. I'll just, I'll just pick up and you know I'll be on the bus or something.
0: He's he's next level. We are you know we we dabble. We've got a few little nuggets, you know here and there. He's next level. He's like, do you know what I mean? We're, Ninja. we're, non-league. we're not we're non-league. league. We're not league. We're not league. I'm I'm shit. <laughs> all right come on don't get too big-headed <laughs> I, was, I,
2: was, I was gonna say that's very kind guys but you know i'm still working on ego so
0: yeah. oh, you're, you're definitely champions league at least, Champions league <laughs> championship at least yeah. very oh, very well. kind no that's no oh. uh,
1: and i really look forward to actually sort of replying to some of these people and saying that it's going to be on the next podcast you know we put your questions out there so i know that's gonna really you know help a lot of people out there that are struggling so thank you very much thank you for that
0: matt Man, we've we've been uh, we've been waffling on for quite a while, haven't we?
1: Well, it's a special, isn't it? We're introducing Charlie Boy to the world. Hey, <laughs> yes, I've, I've been, yeah, that's true. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's um,
2: so you think it's kind of it, kind of crazy, Tommy? Though, isn't it? For want of a better word, how this all kind of transpired. Bearing in mind, it was a good two years ago that we were talking about it.
1: It's been a journey, hasn't it? It's been a yeah. journey. But you know what? Like everything, I'm really grateful for it. Because I feel like over the last few years, I've got to know you better as well and stuff Definitely. like that. And I feel like, you know, I've really learned a lot from you and I'm really grateful for this friendship that we've sort of
2: developed. Well, well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is my feeling too. And and just being able to to do, again do what we can to help other people and just keep that kind of dialogue going you were by my bedside were you not tommy at one point (laughs) i was what yeah do you want my uh, my uh, wife my wife needed some support and phoned tommy because i was in i think the throes of a a binge and you know she struggled Mm -hmm. but again we can talk about that the implication on relationships because that's a big one isn't it when it comes to Mm -hmm. being getting unwell and then other people having to suffer our
1: symptoms but yeah, Tommy was that He, you know, he put his money where his mouth, mouth was. He stepped right <laughs> up to the plate. Mate, as I always say, one hand washes the other. And um, <laughs> you know, I know if I was ever in a situation or if I've got into slide, I know I can call on either of you two and you'd both do
0: the same. So. Yeah,
1: that's... You've, the, you've
0: never been by my, my bedside. <laughs> I, 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 I suppose social distancing. Social distance. Yeah, really
2: this is way before that. And you, you gotta, you've got to go for another mental health crisis before Tommy will come and knock on your
1: door. That's it. Oh, okay.
0: All a, right, a dial all a right. Tommy.
1: A dial of Tommy. <laughs> well,
0: that was, uh, It wasn't that a, a Stephen Spill, um, Stephen, Stephen King um, book, wasn't it? The Tommy Knockers. Oh, <laughs> God
2: <wasn't yeah>. it. <laughs> yes, That's it,
1: a,
0: yeah.
2: He, he, so, yeah. And he's a recovering alcoholic, actually. Apparently, The Shining was very much about, if you actually, if you've, you've read the book or you see the HBO, um, he produced an HBO Shining program because he didn't like um, Tubics, apparently. You get to see it's right. all about drinking and and his kind of mental health crisis. Wow. So it's wow. out there. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it needs to be it's everywhere.
0: Back. It's like a plague. It's like a virus. <laughs> oh, no, let's, <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's
2: not talk about the virus. We're going to stand you off now, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> Why did you have to drop the virus in there? Oh, I'm
0: sorry. We were doing so well. We, were... we didn't mention the virus. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all depressed again now. <laughs> Anyway, well, listen, Charlie, that's, that has been amazing. Um, we'll let you get on with your evening. Um, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks for that.
2: You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on, and I'd, I'd definitely love to come back on.
1: So, Real yeah, forward to thank, it, mate. just
2: thanks for the opportunity. Really, really good to just be able to keep talking about these things.
1: 100%, 100%. All right. All right.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheerio. We'll speak, speak to you next time. Well, bye. bye.